Dave's Five Hot Takes. Yeah! Welcome back, everybody, to Dave's Five Hot Takes. I am really glad you guys are back. Today, we've got some steaming hot takes. Steaming hot? <laughs> I wish I hadn't said steaming hot. Uh, they are hot. They are. They are. We got some hot takes. It's a fun, it's a fun day of takes. Take day. Um, so buckle up. Uh, get nestled in there. Get your smile on. Comb that mustache. Uh, pull the visor down. And uh, get your sunglasses on because it's time for some hot takes, folks. Hot take one. I'm coming in hot because this one really boggles my mind. I mean, if I think of all the things in music that really like I have to sit with and sort of reconcile myself to. It's this crazy fact that singers and songwriters who wrote their songs, so like the Beatles or Stevie Wonder, or I mean, the list is literally never ending, but but the archetypes of song, of songwriting to me will never be able to enjoy their songs like we enjoy them. And here's what I mean by that. And I can attest to this from my experience, and I think this is universally true, I really do. I think when you have created something, you always see yourself in it, you see the cracks in it, and it's just not, it can't be enjoyed because you made it. You know, it's like you're always going to have some view of this piece of music that's different than everybody else. And, and and it makes me so sad to think that Paul McCartney can't sit and listen to Yesterday and be absolutely floored like we can. Stevie Wonder can't sit and listen to, you know, uh, any of his songs. I mean, any of these artists can't. Elton John, I mean, Billy Joel with New York State of Mind, whatever the song, She's Always a Woman. Songs that would wreck you and I will sit and listen to and and just be you know in tears and and these guys and gals can sit and and they, they just and it yeah that's good or man I like that part and I think that's a little why it's always it's it's a little confusing when you see one of your favorite artists sit in an interview and they're like you know Paul what was it like writing Let It Be. And they're just never going to be as profound as you want them to be because they made it. But you ask me about that song and I'm going to talk to you for hours about how profound it is or what it's done to my life or what I think about when it's played. And that just blows my mind. You know, um, when you've created something, you know it, you view it differently and you'll never be able to see it like others do, which is a sort of grace, I think, from God in a weird way, maybe that you will we'll never be hyped on our own juice, <laughs> which I've never said that phrase before. <laughs> Dave's five hot takes hyped on our own juice, but it's the truth, you know, and it, and it I think it'll really affect it affects me when I think about people, especially in interviews, when they're commenting on their own art, why it never seems they're as excited about it as I would be. It helps me understand that um, and why I think that's true. Hot take two. So I love weird bridges. Uh, that includes Bo. It includes the one to Terabithia and the one over Troubled Waters. I'm sorry. Dad jokes abound and we're having lots of fun. Uh, one of my favorite bizarre weirdo bridges in pop music history is Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. This song is so straight ahead, and you just know exactly what's happening. Say you, say me. You're like, yeah, I get it. They're together naturally. You get it. And then the bridge does a couple things. First of all, it jumps 25 beats per minute in tempo from 63 to 98. That is from like a slow song to arguably a fast song, 25 beats per minute, and then it slows back down after the bridge, back to 63. So it's like, hey, here's a little fun, little fun offshoot, and then we're back. We're back in the main uh, tributary to the main river there. And that was weird. I wish I hadn't said that. And uh, not only does it do that, but it does this weird sort of pseudo weird key change where it goes from... 
there. Say it together. Naturally, and then it goes, dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah. And I can't tell. It does this five if you're in the original key of G sharp. It's the five, but you it's sort of like ambiguously, I think it's the five, ambiguously minor major. It's really hard to tell what's going on. But basically what's happening is if 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 uh this is your one, he goes flat three, seven, one or four to one. Flat three, seven, and then kind of this weird five, I think, is weird. And then back flat three, seven, four, one, and then he goes flat three, fleet three, three, four, 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 say you, forgive my terrible singing, say me. Isn't that crazy? So the way he key changes in, he sort of hangs on the, on the four, or the flat three up to the four, so the five back to the original key of of uh, G sharp. It's such a cool, weird, weird, weird moment in pop music that everybody was like, yeah, killer, love it, who cares? And it, it works for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because it's actually really super poppy. And But that little, it's just, everything about that bridge is so bizarre. Be one thing if they just did the tempo change, be another thing to that weird key change. But everything that's happening is just weird. And I don't know if it's done to just sort of get you out of your weird brain and get you like realizing like, I just want to go back to a safe place Place, Daddy, please take me back home. And it makes the back half of the song so much more potent and lovable. I have no clue, but I do know that I love it. Hot take three. I think if somebody came to me and said, you're from the South, what is one song that's sort of, uh, you know, you're the most proud of as far as Southern culture song? I think I would say Sweet Home Alabama. Now listen, I'm not speaking to the racial undertones of this song because I'm not even sure I understand them. But as far as a piece of art that has been created that to me is completely bulletproof, completely bulletproof, Sweet Home Alabama is perfectly played, recorded, crafted, created. It is perfectly executed. And I tell you what, for those geeks, for those people who geek out on like Mutt Lang and these producers who everything they do is super in place and it makes sense and every part has its place, um, this is the archetype. Sweet Home Alabama to me, and this sounds crazy, I know, this is the hottest of hot takes. It is the archetype for this kind of production, this idea that like everything has its place and everything has to be memorable. If you look at Thriller, which is this sounds crazy, is the same in Quincy Jones. We'll talk about this. They didn't want anything in a track that you couldn't sing. This is what Sweet Home Alabama is doing. Crazy, but check it out. This is nuts, okay? Here's some fun things that I noticed listening back to this song. That this that they don't use the snare the whole time. They use a side stick on the verse, which I think is cool. It takes a song down energy-wise. The intro lick never repeats as an intro lick hook. It is actually the chorus guitar pattern. Now, it's it's a little different than the chorus because it does the... So it does this weird thing in the chorus it doesn't necessarily do in the beginning. But it's actually not the hook. They just took the chorus part and threw it in the top of the song as a hook. That's a fun fact for those little producer-songwriters out there. Like, hey, what am I going to do at the beginning of the song? Why not use a chorus pattern? There's two hooks at the top, which is really fascinating to me. There's a piano hook between every first phrase. And it's not always the same, but it's always meant to be. And you can sing it every time. Uh, there's in-between chorus hooks, uh, which are crazy. 
There's two solos in this song at the back. Two, two. There's a piano outro hook that's not a solo. So much of this song, there is no wasted space. There's no fat. This thing is trim and slim and ready to rock as a song can be in a time where you couldn't edit the crud out of things to make them right. You had to play them. And I think that's what's so crazy about this band is they're a Southern band who's kind of got this um, image as, you know, sort of vagabonds and long hair and we don't care and we're southern but their commitment to sort of execution and perfection is incredible and is on display in this song and I, I challenge you to go listen to this song and really pay attention to what's happening because there is no wasted space in the way that they use these parts and how I bet you if you know that song at all you can sing every hook of every instrument in that song it's pure genius Hot take four. So this one, this one is a tricky one. This one makes me laugh, I have to admit. So I grew up listening much more to Bobby Brown than I did uh, Led Zeppelin, which I know is a shocker to people. <laughs> um, but uh, we just didn't listen to much Led Zeppelin. I love them now. I, I love their music, but it just wasn't uh, around for me growing up. Here's So the funny thing about that is like I knew Humping Around, which <laughs> what a great song to know as a child. But I knew this song, you know, ain't that way. Ain't nobody hopping around. Now you see where I'm going. So you know that when Dancing Days came on the first time and I heard, I was like, wait, did they steal this from Bobby Brown? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, there is a subtle difference. There's a one note difference uh, in that, which you can figure out for yourself. It's crazy what's happening. And there's a half step versus a whole step thing that's kind of happening in the two different melodies. But they are crazy similar. So if you know those songs, go back and geek out on how much those things are actually similar. Hot Take 5. In my humble opinion, Missing You by John Waite is the OG. It is the original gangsta song of the eighth note, like nostalgic songs. Jin, 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 that sort of vibe. It is, it's the, it's the goat. It is the song to me that I think if you're sitting down trying to write something that feels like that pulsy eighth note, jin, jin, chun, jin, 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 that sort of vibe, you're not going to touch that song. One, because his voice is freaking magic and two because it's just that something about that vibe that eighth note pulse thing just feels so nostalgic and it does something I think to all of us that is so incredibly cool and profound uh, and I think that song is the, is the greatest I mean when I was writing Until You that song was absolutely what I was thinking about um, I even think of songs like She Will Be Loved and how it sort of has that pulsy thing not quite as much as Missing You but I think all of those songs it sort of feel like you know kind of brooding pent up, uh, 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 you know, angsty sort of singer songwriter rock songs. It sort of just feels super straight ahead. You don't have to think you turn them on in your car at night, you roll on the windows and you just go and you're feeling it. It doesn't take a lot of thinking to understand that song to me is the best of those fun, two fun facts about John Waite. One, he was in the, he was in the band. Uh, um, I think, uh, Oh, bad English. That's saying another one of my favorite songs, maybe one of the most nostalgic songs of my childhood, When I See You Smile, which isn't that a fun fact? He was, was a singer in that, but even more of a fun fact, guess who wrote When I See You Smile? Diane Warren. Diane is everywhere. You can't get away from her. Before I go, quick heads up here. If you like what you hear, you might like what you see, which always feels weird to say. So follow me on socials. You can find me under at Dave Barnes Music. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow the podcast and rate if that's an option. Because a five-star rating means my wife will let me have those self-inflating Nikes from Back to the Future finally. Well, we did it, guys, didn't we? We made it through another episode of Dave's Five Hot Takes. High five. Okay. Oh, I missed. Um... 
Thank you guys so much for hanging, listening, uh, loving the five hot takes. Um, and I feel like we learned a lot on this episode, but I'll tell you one thing we didn't learn. The George Michael and Brian Adams were going to be a duo, but their manager said there were too many first names. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you next time on Dave's Five Hot Takes. Yeah!